Chapter 3 Dolphin After breathing in a deep process designed by Groff for a month, I asked to sign on for two more. Stan needed interns for his newly formed spiritual emergency network, and it was agreed that I would be one of the two. Each week, I opened more to the music guiding my body, the breath taking me through physical and metaphysical memories, the sounds discovered, the movement through pain to ecstasy, a kind of primordial experience offered me another glimpse of reality, one that I had been searching for. All of those mountain climbings and risk-taking thrills had not offered the rite of passage to true adulthood I had in hindsight been seeking. I wanted a different relationship with the mountain than paying to ski it or even climbing to see it. There was an intimacy an earth belonging beyond culture, class, or country, I was craving, and I needed for continuation. Often, after many a breath session, I would find myself at the cliff's edge staring out to the great Pacific Ocean. One day, the sun came out, calling me to jump in the water. Disappointed there was no place to enter the sea, I finally surrendered to go to the pool. And then, once in, I began swimming in the water, moving in the water, free in my body and being, and at home in my breath. Moving out and into the water with each breath, emotion took over, or better said, took me over. There was no longer any learned stroke. Though hard to describe such, I can only share that after losing me, a sense of any and all time, I finally came to the shore, to the pool's edge, laughing with joy. I had traveled very far away, and at the same time, I had come home. Though I had not met, seen, studied, or heard anything really about whales or dolphins, it was that experience that marked the beginning of a lifetime connection, a connection I came to feel was many lifetimes old. Somehow, with little experience of the New Age, California, shamanism, or whatever one might name past life experiences in modern times, I had just had one, in my body, in my being, and in my soul. The next days, I consciously named within myself the intention to learn everything I could about this being I now felt to be related, a relative, even an ancestor. At the week's end, Who showed up but John and Tony Lilly, famous dolphin researchers? Again, along with most others in the consciousness research world, I knew nothing at all about them. After all, I had been hiding the last 12 years in Colorado, spending every moment I could deep in the mountains. It was my only resource. After so much struggle, As the only woman in my graduate school, 
and then the only token one working in international aid projects. Now, here I was in a whole new world, both inside and out. John Lilly was the dolphin researcher, a consciousness teacher of the day, a neuroscientist turned renegade to the establishment, experimenting with psychoactive substances, communication with the largest brain on earth. They had been working with two dolphins, Joe and Rosie, in a pool in Redwood City for the past five years. After meeting them and getting the courage to share my story, they quickly invited me to come and meet them, the dolphins, that is. Some months later, after leaving Eslin, that is exactly what I did. The story, the relationship with Joe and Rosie unfolded over the next four years, and the National Geographic TV film about their release Back to the Wild is still relevant today. I hope you see it. Yet what is more relevant here in this story is how the dolphin connection opened up yet another significant doorway. Swimming with Joe and Rosie, even though they were in captivity, was my next confirmation of love. Communication beyond English for sure connection to all of life. It took only a moment to trust, to see into Rosie and she into me. I felt the sonar up and down my leg like tiny acupuncture needles, awakening the many wounded parts. And then a rush of energy, shivers throughout my whole being, culminated again in hysterical laughter once I climbed out and lasted for the next hour or so. I could not explain it very well to my companion at the time, the health advocate writer that had first invited me to Esalen. His experience had not been the same, and he felt much more fear than joy being in such a small enclosure with supersized mammals. There was the water, the lack of boundaries, feeling home for me, truly not the territory of his dreams. We are different for sure in ways even beyond race, class, or culture. Yet I felt no more special, but only grateful that this meeting, this close encounter of heart-mind with the dolphin, confirmed the possibility of what I longed for with humans. If instant recognition, connection could happen here, then why not anywhere and everywhere? Only recently, after a number of injuries of people swimming with captive dolphins, a death of a trainer at SeaWorld, have some humans at least been forced to stop all of the educational rationales for the dolphins and whales in captivity could not be a defense once a human life was taken. Yet what about the life of the orcas, the belugas, the dolphins, how their lives had been changed forever, circling in small pools day after day, sonar capabilities, 
of no value. Their smile having viewers believe that they were happy. It was claimed that learning about these special creatures with an intelligence beyond our own would inspire, would motivate the world to care for them in the oceans. Such a sad irony that today their ocean home is as polluted as it is, now as of great danger and source of disease than perhaps even a life in a cement pool. Disease arises with disconnection from what we are here to be, of what our part is in the natural world, our place, our belonging. Dolphins now birth in captivity are another species on some level. Any being growing up or imprisoned for years has a hard, if not impossible, road to be well. I left Redwood City, knowing Joe and Rosie were in my life forever. I had, while at Esalen, made love with the freedom of no attachment, no thoughts or needs for this man to be the one. And I had gratefully and finally fully disembarked from the program of meeting my soulmate, getting married, and having children. This feeling with these dolphins was yet another kind of soulmate experience. A feeling of connection, even attachment, came not from need or fear or cultural conditioning. It seemed to come simply from the experience of belonging, a belonging to this water planet and connected there to beings who had been here far longer than I. Stan Rushworth said it recently far better than I. I felt an obligation, not as a burden, but as a sacred responsibility. In this case, to keep the promise that had been made to them by the researchers, by their captors, by the humans, to return them to the wild after five years of service. Last night, we turned on the TV in Ireland just to see the news and what kind of shows are happening over here. Out of three choices, the only one to even consider viewing was the story of Meghan Markle, Prince Harry's new wife. What instantly stood out was the focus on their common vision to make a good difference in the world. The English name for this is Charity. The show ended with commentary on how Markle's half-white, half-black heritage is such a sign of progress for her to be accepted in the royal family, for her to be even a bit more like the people around the world who might be saying, God save the queen, and curtsy at every meeting. The footage on aid to countries in Africa and people's evident joy upon meeting the couple was definitely endearing. At the same time, it was all a somewhat sad reminder of the state of colonialism as it continues today. Charity. The ultimate in living royalty tending to the poor Africans. 
the stereotype is alive and well there and in our country, a reality being celebrated every day in the British as well as the American empire. How far we are away from a sharing of resources, how steeped we are in a history of extraction, imprisonment through debt, respect of peoples, cultures, lands, place. What we are doing to the earth is now a debt we cannot repay. We here, yes, referring mostly to white elite peoples worldwide. Some of us have worked to change the nature of philanthropy over the last 40 years, learning and doing, seeing grantees as partners, involving the recipient of funds in decision-making is but one example. Others have created and been part of flow funds, challenging the need for control by giving money to a group without strings attached so that they can gift it on. Others with wealth spent time healing their own wounds, their own fears, insecurities, and even guilt around their position. While yet others have let go a bit more of their egos, of running their own named-after-themselves foundations, and simply given it whenever it felt right to do so. Whether part of a foundation or among those who simply have more by nature of white privilege, there seems increased awareness of shadows within the philanthropic worlds. How to give, how to share, how to be part of a sacred economy is the focus in many more conversations, blogs, movies, books. Wealthy people offering, even lobbying to pay more taxes is yet another sign of movement. And many ask, movement towards what? Local, more just economies? Yes, towards more people willing to break out of traditional paths of investment, loans, gift-giving, inheritance? I would say yes. More use of money and stock ownership to force corporate responsibility? Yes, it seems, hopefully so. And yet when I see Trump in the White House, the Queen in Africa, the percentages of homeless versus the super rich in the U.S. and around the world, it's hard to have faith in a movement of true systemic change. I remember selling my first gift of Gulf oil stock as part of a protest against that company's extraction of oil in Angola. That was in 1970s. And the oil companies and such corporations are still the ones in power making the decisions as far as I can tell. Certainly there are many good news stories to focus on. And given fake news today, it is close to impossible to truly know where we're at. So I and many others I'm grateful to know live into the questions. How do I live my life and share resources? How do we care for the land, the water, ourselves, our neighbors? How do I, do we, 
use what we truly need and share if there is more, if there is abundance? How do I, do we develop awareness of how our actions affect everything everywhere? How do we live a life without regrets? And better yet, with the sense that we have been the best guest possible while visiting planet Earth. So, the lilies needed money in order to release the dolphins. They also needed permission from the Marine Mammal Commission to simply move a dolphin anywhere. To move a dolphin from captivity to the wild, they also needed scientific approval. The list went on. And what may have seemed like a simple promise years back, to fulfill it now was complex, if not daunting. Who in their right mind, with all of the many human needs and sufferings in our world, would give money and attention to dolphins? two dolphins, to be specific. Who would see this as a sacred obligation? 